We're going to be in 1 Peter 5 in just a moment. If you want to go ahead and turn your Bibles there, 1 Peter chapter 5. Um, we are closing out the book of 1 Peter today, and we'll move on to a different series starting next week. But um, before we go, I think I should point out the fact, I believe that I have found the most faithful verse in the entire Bible. Now, I'd like to hear some of your opinions, what y'all think that verse is. What verse do you think is the most faithful verse? God loves you. Uh, that's all over the scripture, isn't it? Seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Does that sound familiar to anybody, in, any of my kids that I pray for that every single night? Yeah. What, what do you think, Mitchell? You had your hand up. Most faithful verse in the Bible. What do you think it is? John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's a good one. What do y'all think? Maybe you think of Romans 10. Uh, how can they believe on the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear except one preach? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful uh, on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Maybe you thought of that. Maybe you think the most faithful verse of Scripture is uh, maybe a verse in the Psalms that, that declares God's faithfulness. Maybe, maybe you think of Psalm 23 when you think of faithful Scripture. I believe that 1 Peter 5.12 is the most faithful verse in the entire Bible. Stand with me and we'll read it together. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 12. This, and you know what I'm about to say, don't you? This is God's word, and if you let it, it will change your life. Peter writes, By Silvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. Pray with me. Father, as we approach uh, what I believe may be the most faithful verse in this entire scripture, Lord, I pray that we would be found faithful. Use this word. Shape us and mold us into your image. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Most faithful verse in all of Scripture. I mean, yes, it does have the word faithful there, but, but why do I think this is the most faithful verse of all Scripture? Well, in order to do that, I think we need to take a step back for just a moment. Peter has been writing a book to elected exiles scattered around all over the place. He is in Rome, and, um, and he is writing to folks who are all over the Roman Empire, believers in Christ, some, some of whom uh, churches that had been planted not too long ago, some of whom uh, churches have been established for years by this point, some of whom were facing persecution, some of them on the cusp of facing persecution. Peter himself knows persecution. Uh, there's this picture of Rembrandt that, that has Peter sitting in a, a, a jail, a prison. This is Rembrandt's idea of it. And I know it's hard to see. It's kind of a dark picture, but you can see Peter there in the center. He's praying. And uh, on the floor, I don't know if you can make it out, but on the floor beside him are some keys. Uh, uh, when referring back to that verse where Jesus says, I give you the king, keys of the kingdom. Uh, Peter himself knew persecution. And so he's writing to some Christians that are being persecuted and he tells them that they must take heart to face difficult days ahead with endurance. 
humbly submitting to God's will and to each other in love. He reminds them of the greatness of God's work in them. He, how God had made them born again to a living hope. How Christ has redeemed them from their sin and, and that they will share in the promises of his future glory. And now as he's closing his letter, as he's giving the final exhortations and, and greetings from the church there in Rome and from Mark and from others, he, he, he calls his readers to faithfulness. And look at this verse and, and let's see how chock full of faithfulness it is. Look at verse 12 again. By Silvanus, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written to you briefly, briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. Do you see the faithfulness that abounds throughout this passage? Do, do you see how much faithfulness is talked into these words? Maybe, maybe it's easy to miss, but, but very first, Sylvanus. That's a Latin name. There's an Aramaic name that you probably know him better as, and that's Silas. Silas is the one in Acts 15. He is in the Jerusalem council. Silas is uh, um, one of the ones there. They, they, they're trying to wrestle with this idea of these Gentiles becoming believers. Because up to that point, the church was all Jews who converted to Christianity. Jews who recognized that Jesus Christ was their Messiah. Now the gospel is going out to Gentiles. And the question is, do they need to become Jews in order to become Christians? It's a difficult question, right? Because we, we recognize that we need to be faithful to the words of God, but at the same time, this is different from what God has done before. They begin to look at the evidence and they see the Holy Spirit's moving among Gentile believers. How they're not even being circumcised and yet God's pouring out His Holy Spirit on them. How the gospel is bearing much fruit among people who never knew of God in the first place. And, and you've got Peter saying, you know, y'all know about my vision. Well, I saw all these unclean foods and God said, rise and eat. How he showed me that, that it's not just the, the law, it's not just the old Jewish way. God's doing something different. And in recognition of that, the church in Jerusalem recognizes that, hey, what God is doing, we don't need to step in front of. So, so they end up saying, no, these guys don't need to be circumcised. They don't need to come under the Jewish way of thinking. They believe in Christ. They have the Holy Spirit on them. The gospel is bearing fruit. Let it bear fruit. Just, just remember that we're all in this together. Just remember that we in Jerusalem are praying for you and you there. Y'all pray for us too. Let's build each other up as the genuine community in Christ that we are. So when they have this decided, they decide Silas and Barnabas are the guys to carry this letter back to the church in Antioch. The church in Antioch is asking the questions, so Silas and Barnabas are going to go back to Antioch. Now what's amazing about this is you don't just give a letter to anybody. You don't just hand your letter to just some random guy on the street. And there was no, uh, there, there may have been some official correspondence that the Roman governors and, and government had, but there was no postal service that you knew that if I give this to my letter carrier, he, that, that he was going to make sure it got to its destination. They didn't have the postal service. So they gave a letter to someone they could trust. I mean, you wanted to make sure it got there, right? But, but what if they have questions? What if the people reading that letter don't quite understand something? 
Or maybe they think of something that you didn't think about writing down. Not only would you want someone who you know is going to deliver the letter, you want someone who can faithfully exposit the letter, who can, who can help people answer their questions and know just what you think about these things so that, so that when you, they deliver it, they're not undermining what you're trying to say. You've got to have someone you can trust. And they could trust Silas. Silas proved himself faithful. So faithful, in fact, Paul and Barnabas are in an argument. They're going to go on a missionary journey. Barnabas says, I want to bring John Mark. Now, I know he left us last time halfway through, but he's different now. You know, he, he, he's older, he's wiser. He knows what he's doing now. He knows what to expect and he's ready to, to confront whatever needs to be confronted. And Paul says, I ain't taking that quitter with me. And they're back and forth, John back and forth, having a lively discussion, if you will. They finally decide, you know, we might just better split up. And we might just better go separate ways. Barnabas takes John Mark. Paul takes Silas. And Paul and Silas in the second missionary journey of Paul's are going all over the place. There's this map. I don't even know where this map is. I think it's in one of the churches uh, in that region of the world. But there's this map made out of these, these little uh, uh, tiles that have been pieced together that shows the journey. And, and it's hard to see, but you can see on this map there are different cities and places where they went. Philippi is up in the upper right corner, and then you've got Thessalonica beside it, Berea, down to Athens and Corinth. They are going all over the place. And he's enduring, Silas is, with, with Paul, excuse me, all of these things. This is the journey where they see the Macedonian man saying, come help us. So, so they're going through all these places and they're faithfully ministering and, and it doesn't matter the difficulties that come. In some places like Thessalonica, they're run out. In other places like Philippi, they're thrown in prison. In fact, they're, they're, this is what we believe might be the jail that they were thrown in. Some ruins that have been found in Philippi. Just to give you an idea. Now, it would have been much more heavily fortified then. But you get the point. And it didn't matter whether they faced those threatening mobs or that unjust imprisonment. They were faithful. Sharing the gospel, starting new churches. So when Peter is writing this letter to these scattered believers, these elect exiles, as he calls them in verse 1, from Rome itself, he looks to none other than Silas, Silvanus, to deliver his letter. He's a faithful brother. He knows he's faithful. He's got, he's, not only is he faithful, look, look at, back at verse 12. By Sylvanus, a faithful brother, as I regard him, he's a faithful brother with a faithful reputation. I know I can trust this man to deliver this letter. And I know that he can be trusted to answer the questions that might come up. Because he's a faithful brother with a faithful reputation. He has spent years and years of his life dedicated to the cause of Christ. I've watched him. I've seen his faithfulness. What a testimony that is. Go ahead. Take out Sylvanus and put your name. And see, see if that rings true. Michael, a faithful brother. Can I be regarded as faithful? What about, what about you? Linda, a faithful sister. What a testimony it would be. How amazing would it be to have others be able to say, he's faithful. She's faithful. Uh, the only thing I can think of better would be for Jesus himself to say, well done, good and faithful servant. But Silvanus isn't the only example of faithfulness in this verse. Keep, keep reading. I have written briefly to you exhorting 
and declaring. It's a faithful message that he's carrying in his hand. So we've got a faithful brother with a faithful uh, a reputation that's delivering a faithful message. Those two words, exhorting, declaring, those are not different things. Those are two sides of the same coin. The, the declaring side, it comes from our word for martyr. It means to bear witness about something that you know firsthand. It's not hearsay. It's not something that you heard it from a friend who heard it from a friend who heard it from a friend. This is what you know on because you're an eyewitness to it and you're testifying to what you know to be true. Peter was an eyewitness. Now, he may not have seen Christ die on the cross because he was running away scared. And he may not have been there when the angel appears and he's broken out of the tomb, but he saw the empty tomb and he saw the risen Lord. See, this is an eyewitness. This is someone. And he's not saying this to say, look what I know. Look how special I am. He's not doing that. No, he's writing to build them up. He's saying, look, I can tell you as one who saw Christ firsthand. It's a faithful message from someone who knows it. He's experienced the power of God working through him, and he's faithfully endured sufferings and trials. He's living proof God can take a broken sinner dead in his sins and make him born again to a living hope. Flip the coin over, the exhorting side. Peter's not just telling these elect exiles some information they should know. He's calling on them to come alongside of him. The word here is the same word that Jesus uses in John chapter 14, verse 26, to talk about the Holy Spirit. He says, but the helper. That's the word. He's the paraclete. He's the one called alongside. Paul calls them to join his side in faithfully enduring for the sake of the gospel. This isn't just something that I want you to do, but I'm not going to do. This isn't something that, that, they're, that he wants them to take part of, but he's going to break it over here. How many times have we seen leaders in the last couple of years that say one rule for you, and then they're caught breaking that rule themselves because it's just not convenient? How many times do we see that? That's not who we have in Christ and that's not who we have in this Apostle Peter. He is living out the call to faithfulness that he's extending to them as well. Come join me. Paul says at one point, imitate me as I imitate Christ. It's a picture of faithfulness that doesn't just demand it of others, but that exemplifies it and calls others to join them in. Peter's faithful message is a summons call to join in the work of God. You see, God doesn't want an audience. He wants participants. God doesn't want spectators. He wants athletes competing. He doesn't want fans. He wants forwards and guards, linemen and linebackers, pitchers and catchers. He wants us on the field. And I promise you, there is always an open spot on his team. You don't have to worry about getting cut. You don't have to worry about not making the team. He's always got room for you. So we got this faithful message delivered by this faithful brother with this faithful reputation. But there's even more faithfulness. Because what's the content of the message? You see, it wouldn't be so, it wouldn't be so much faithfulness if it wasn't for the content of the message itself. You see, because this message delivered by this faithful brother with his faithful reputation is a faithful message about the faithful grace of a faithful God. Exhorting and declaring what? That this is the true grace of God. God's grace is authentic. 
It's not phony baloney. It's the real thing. Let that sink in. God doesn't give out phony grace. His grace doesn't wear off. It doesn't wear out and it doesn't wear down. It is faithful grace. And we know it's faithful grace because he's a faithful God. Jeremiah is in utter dismay. He's looking at the ruins of his beloved city of Jerusalem. Just a pile of smoldering ash. He's preached with all his might. He's he's prophesied to them over and over again. Repent, repent, repent. And they would not repent. At one point they even threw him into a well hoping to kill him. Now, with destruction all around him, he grieves an entire book of a Bible called Lamentations. What's interesting about Lamentations is it's five chapters long, and in the middle chapter, chapter 3, about in the very middle of that chapter, the prophet makes a stunning declaration, seemingly out of nowhere, in the middle of all the tragedy and the unending stream of tears, He says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Now that doesn't make all the heartache go away. He's still got another half of the book to lament. And boy, does he lament. But right there in the middle, there's a little kernel of hope. God is faithful even in the middle of the heartaches. We've got a faithful message about a faithful grace of a faithful God delivered by a faithful brother with a faithful reputation. Do you see now why I say this is chock full of faithfulness? But that's not even all of the faithfulness. Look at the very end of the verse. Stand firm in it. In light of the faithfulness of God, the faithful grace that He's shown us. And us knowing this faithful message in part because we have it written in His faithful Word, but in part because we have it written on the lives of faithful brothers and sisters who have gone before us. In light of all this faithfulness, you be faithful too. We are called to be faithful. The final piece of faithfulness is ours, yours and mine. Just as God is faithful and those who've served Him before us are faithful, we must be faithful to stand firm in God's faithfulness. How do we do that? What is it? I mean, that's great. That sounds wonderful. I definitely want to do that. What does it actually look like? A couple, couple of things that I think will help us. One, faithfulness is being full of faith. Makes sense, right? Faithful It's kind of where the word comes from, isn't it? We can't be faithful, though, if we're only half full. Listen to how the writer of Hebrews describes this faithful life. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near 
with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. You can't have that kind of faith unless you're completely full of faith. Nobody wants a milkshake with a tiny little dollop of whipped cream on top. No, you want whipped cream coming out of the dome lid all down the sides with a cherry on top. No kid wants to have a mostly empty Halloween bucket. They want that thing so full it's spilling candy all over the place. See, he confirms. We ought to want that kind of faith. A faith that... Have you ever seen a pipe burst and water's just gushing everywhere. We need that kind of faith that just gushes everywhere. That's, that's the kind of faith that we need to live that kind of life. Look, listen again to some of these. Having confidence to enter the holy places, drawing near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, Hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, bodies washed with pure water, holding fast the confession of our hope without wavering, stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Do, do you hear how much faith it takes to live that kind of life? If we are going to be faithful to the calling of God on our lives, we cannot be faithless. We must be full of faith. And we cannot be faithful until we are faithful. Faithfulness is being full of faith. It's also prioritizing godliness. Donald Whitney wrote a book called Spiritual Disciplines of the Christian Life. It's highly recommended. I've read it three times since my college days. And it just gets better every time. Listen to what he writes. To do what God wants most, that is to love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as you love yourself, can't be done in your spare time. If you want to be faithful to the call of God, it's going to take more than leftovers. Faithfulness requires every ounce of our effort and every fiber of our being. We have to look through the perspective of eternity. As Thomas Watson prayed, Lord, stamp eternity on my eyeballs. Because when you look through eternity's lenses, when you look at things the way that God sees them, you see that all the stuff that we spend our time on, most of it just doesn't really come to much of anything. Faithfulness requires that we prioritize being like Christ. Can't be done in your spare time. When I read that, I stopped. You know it's a good book when you're reading and you suddenly have to stop because what you just read is that important. We must make godliness our sole priority so that in everything we do, we do it for God alone and not for ourselves. As the old hymn put it, 
love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Thirdly, faithfulness is, made, is, is enduring to the end. we got to actually make it to the finish line. We cannot be faithful if we quit. It doesn't matter how faithful we are up until the meantime. If we quit before we finish, we have been found lacking in faith. Paul says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. That's faithfulness. And so must we. We can't give up. We can't surrender. We can't quit. We must endure. You see, the victory has already been won. We just got to stay in the battle until it's realized. I used to visit every now and then with Joe Northington. Every time I went over there, he'd tell me the same thing. Now, part of it may have just been the fact that he was in his uh, upper 80s, 90s. Okay? That may have been part of this. He may have forgotten he told me. But I don't think so. I think it was, I, I think it was so important to him that it, it basically defined his life. He always told me, God must, all, must still have something for me to do. I mean, I'm, I'm still here. I'm still breathing. So he must have something for me to do. God's got something for you to do too. He's not through with you, church. Be faithful. Pray with me. Father, as we enter this time of invitation, you are calling us to faithfulness. It's not something we can do on our own. It's not something we have the strength to do, but God, you can. So Lord, you do the work in us. You make us faithful. We submit to you. As we sing this song, show us what you want us to do and give us the strength and the courage to carry it out. It's all for you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.